Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation about science and technology. I'm Helen Joyce, the international editor, and I'm joined by Jason Palmer, science correspondent, and Ludwig Ziegler, technology editor. This week we'll be talking about the effects gadget use can have on teenagers' sleep and unicorns. First, gadgets and sleep. Jason, we've known about this sleep danger for some time, haven't we? What we have, sleepiness, is regulated by a hormone called melatonin. Basically, in the evening hours, the levels of it in your blood go up. It's produced by a gland in the brain, reaches a peak in the middle of the night, and then sort of tapers off. And this is supposed to lead to nice sort of regular cycles of sleepiness and wakefulness and give you a good night's sleep in between. It's long been known that what triggers this is light. And more recently, it's been figured out that it's blue light in particular. But you can imagine this kind of having to do with, in simpler times, just the sun coming and going. Sun goes down, you get a little sleepy, sun comes up, you wake up. Things used to be a little bit simpler. So using your tablet and your laptop and so on at night or in the evening messes up this cycle then? Well, exactly. And it turns out it has something in particular to do with LEDs. So the nice white light that we get from our various gizmos and televisions even these days, it turns out there's a big fat peak of blue light in there. That is exactly what it is that it turns out suppresses the production of melatonin. These things are just putting out tons and tons and tons of blue light that for millennia, all of the time leading up until, you know, this sort of gadgety era wouldn't have been there. And this has been on the radar of sleep researchers for some time, in fact. So what's the new research about? It kind of joins a, a long and distinguished list of small studies. This is really difficult stuff to measure because you're either asking people, so how did you sleep? And that's very subjective. You're getting stats of self-reported behavior or you're bringing people into the lab and trying to measure the melatonin in their saliva and so on and try to get a good night's sleep in a lab anyway. So all of these things tend to be small. They have relatively small effects, but we have another one here, which is quite an intriguing finding, suggesting that teenagers in particular are susceptible to blue lights effects. So Mariana Figueiro and her colleagues at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in New York got together a group of teenagers between 15 and 17 years old. But the crucial thing this time around got them to go about their own business, right? They got the chance to take their own saliva samples at home, use their own devices, what have you, and every hour they basically spit in a little tube and then go on about their business as normal. Now, on one night, the kids wore orange glasses, if you'll believe it. These just block blue light. This turns out to be a handy experimental way to block the blue light and therefore presumably block its effects. And on the second night, they didn't. They wore clear glasses of a similar design. Now, it turns out that when they wore the orange glasses, they blocked the blue light and so on, their melatonin levels were significantly higher than when they didn't. And more than that, looking back on experiments that Dr. Figueroa and and her team have done before, the effect was much bigger in the teens than in the adults. So teens are more likely to lose sleep when they're using their phones and their other gadgets then? Well, that's the suggestion here. And again, it should be said, this is a relatively small study in the way that all of these things are, but it's certainly an interesting suggestion. I mean, teens anyway are already kind of on a weird sleep cycle. That same rising and falling through the evening tends to happen a lot later in teenage years. So they want to stay up later uh, and they want to sleep later. The truth is, regardless of the magnitude of this effect for teens, it's increasingly certain that it has some effect on people of all ages. Uh, And the good news there is that there are simple fixes, in particular, if you don't really want to put on the orange goggles. You can buy apps that allow you to adjust the color balance of your various gizmos or just to cut the blues out altogether. Or you could do the probably more healthy thing altogether and put your gizmos down several hours before bed and do something else. Jason, you don't have a 13-year-old child, do you? No. 
I do. Let's look for the other solution, the technical fix, please. Moving on now to unicorns, because here on Babbage we like to bring you the cutting edge of science and technology. Unicorns, mythical creatures, but there seem to be an entire herd of them now. Ludwig, what's going on? Yes, remember, unicorns, those are these mythical beasts that you need a virgin to catch. But these days it's different. These days you have to write big checks and then you can catch your unicorn. Unicorns, that's a new word for companies that are worth $1 billion. Private companies, I should say. So startups, tech startups from Silicon Valley or London or Berlin that get a lot of money from investors and then those investors decide that, okay, I'm going to invest in that company at a valuation of more than $1 billion, which is quite a lot. I mean, many of these companies are only two or even one year old. That's why they are called unicorns. They shouldn't be there. Well, unicorns aren't there. Are there any of these companies? Yes, there are. I think there are now almost 100 or more than 100 at the latest census. I think CB Insights, a data provider, counted them. And they're spread all over the world, but of course, mostly in California or in the United States. We have, for example, Uber, the taxi cab service or the controversial ride-sharing service, so to speak, and it's worth like $41 billion. and I think there's Xiaomi, it's $45 billion. but there's plenty of them that are just worth $1 billion, and, and that's what companies want these days. If you're a promising startup, you want to have a valuation of $1 billion. Why? It helps you with lots of things. It helps you with recruiting, it helps you with getting business partners. Doing a startup, it's all about creating credibility with the people you have to deal with, from developers to partners, investors. And so if you have that number on your company, that's kind of, so one billion, I'm worth one billion dollars and come to me and work for me and and, then buy my stuff. And are there downsides to being worth so much when you probably don't have any revenue stream at all yet? Yeah, I think there's always downsides to too much money. But in that case, so these investors, and these are not traditional venture capital funds, but big hedge funds and pension funds that invest in these companies. When your company, at that valuation, you need lots of money to grow. But these investors don't give you the money without any conditions. So the term sheets, as it is called, the conditions of these investments, often include uh, something like a liquidity preference. That means that the downside of the investor is protected. So yes, the company is worth a billion, but these investors say, I give you $200 million at a valuation of $1 billion, but uh, you guarantee me that I get my $200 million back. So that's called the liquidity preference. So these valuations, in a way, are important, but they're not really real, or they can't be compared to valuations, similar valuations in, in public markets. This sounds like another sort of magical, mythical sort of unicorn. I'm starting to disbelieve in these ones too. Yes, definitely. And I think people increasingly have questions about the whole thing. But that's kind of the way it works. Right now in Silicon Valley, if you raise money, you want a billion-dollar valuation. If you don't get it, that means you have a problem. Thanks very much, Ludwig. That's all we have time for this week. But if you'd like more science and technology coverage, you can find it at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.